Please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. We'll be reading Isaiah 52, verse 13 through chapter 53. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up, and shall be exalted, as many were astonished at you. His appearance was so marred beyond, beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked, and with a rich man, man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Thank you, Colin. What a wonderful morning of worship it has already been. Man, just to hear God's children singing praises to his name. I hope that you were able to have a wonderful Thanksgiving. I hope you enjoyed your time off of work or with friends and family. There are so many great things about Thanksgiving, from friends and family to food, football, parades, shopping, hopefully a little bit of rest. But sometimes in the busyness of Thanksgiving, we get so caught up in doing things that we fail to stop and think about what we're truly thankful for and why we are thankful for those things. This time of reflection is healthy for our lives, but rarely do we take the time to do it. Rarely are we intentional about it. But when we do this, it reminds us of the blessings in our life and keeps us from taking people and life 
for granted. There are many things to be thankful for. Your family, your job, your health, your home, freedom, and laughter. Just to name a few. Each of these things I've named could be considered or would be considered good things that we're thankful for. But I want you to take just a moment and ask yourself, are there some events or some circumstances in my life that I should be thankful for that in the eyes of the world might not be good things? I want to try to paint a picture for you, and I'm going to take the city of Houston to kind of help you understand what I'm trying to explain about being thankful for things that would not be good in the eyes of the world. I don't know if you've heard, but the Houston Astros won the World Series. They are the best team in Major League Baseball. And I have a friend who is a die-hard fan. He grew up watching and rooting for the team. And when he was watching, they weren't too good. But he is thankful for this World Series. Trust me. At times, he watched them go through some bad baseball. From the years 2011 through 2014, they lost almost 100 games a year. There are only 162 games in the season. You almost have to work to get there. They had some other difficulties in their history. They made it to a World Series and lost. They have only been to the playoffs a few times in their 55-year history. And probably for him, it was a struggle when they had to move from the National League to the American League. You see, my friend may not be thankful for the struggles the Astros had to go through, but because of these difficult years, the team kept trying to get better. And they won a World Series. And all those losing years drove the team to work harder and to get better. And my friend appreciates it that much more because he lived through the difficult times. He is thankful for those struggles now because of what they produced. He is so thankful that every time I see him, he has some kind of new Astros thing on, a new hat, a new shirt, or he's always using the hashtag Astros won the World Series. I mean, this is how thankful he was the other day. His car passed inspection, which if it wouldn't have, it would have been a blessing for you and me. But his car passed inspection and then he put hashtag Astros won the World Series. Doesn't make a lot of sense, except that he is so thankful because of where the Astros were and where they have come to. Another example from Houston would be Hurricane Harvey. If you've read anything about that, you know that it caused over $198 billion of damage in Houston and the surrounding areas. People lost their lives, their homes, their cars. But even in that, there is something to be thankful for. Because that hurricane showed us something about people. Many people showed love in that they gave of their time and resources to help out their fellow man in a difficult time. People took their boats to go and rescue others. J.J. Watt raised $37 million to help in the relief effort. You see, what Harvey did was it caused us to examine our own lives and be thankful. 
Even us as a church had the opportunity to be a shelter and demonstrate the love of Christ. We were able to make friendships and experience something that will forever change our lives for the better. I know we would never ask or wish for a hurricane, but the difficulties brought on by that event changed many people's lives for the better. We genuinely have the opportunity to love our neighbors and place the needs of others above our own. And for this, we should be thankful. You need two things to measure thankfulness. You need where you are currently, but you also need to know where you have come from. You see, Houston, the Astros are thankful today because of all the losing eventually turned into a championship. And the Hurricane Harvey caused a lot of destruction, but it also revealed a love and a sacrifice for others that is often unseen in today's world. So as Christians, we are also often thankful for salvation and this new life that we have with Christ. But we often forget about the past and our pain and our sin and our suffering that got us there. When we forget about this sacrifice, we start to take for granted the grace displayed on the cross. We have only one part of what is necessary to be thankful and appreciate the life Christ has given us. Diedrich Bonhoeffer titled it Cheap Grace. It's like preaching forgiveness and grace without discipleship. You see, there's a both and there. It would be like celebrating the resurrection and forgetting the cross. And so today I want to look at this passage from Isaiah and remind ourselves about the price that the suffering servant paid for our debt and what we experience so that we are truly thankful for our salvation. You see, this text will show that through sorrow, sacrifice, and suffering, the servant was ultimately satisfied. And in our lives, we would not be quick to connect those things together, that suffering and sorrow and sacrifice lead to satisfaction. And this satisfaction was even much more sweeter because of what the servant went through. So our text today is one of four servant songs found in Isaiah, written in a time where the Israelites were in captivity. You see, scholars debate over who the servant is in this passage, and if this is a prophecy of Jesus the Messiah. But I believe that Jesus fulfilled this scripture as a servant, and he set an example for us today. So let's look at how the servant had sorrow, sacrificed, suffered, and ultimately was satisfied. The first part that we have to look at is the sorrow. And sorrow can be defined as both a noun and a verb. As a noun, it is a deep distress, a sadness, regret, depression, grief, and heartache. As a verb, it means to mourn, lament, grieve, suffer, ache, agonize, and anguish. 
I don't know about you, but as I read that definition, that is not something that I want to embrace. But the servant did. You probably can relate to this. There's probably been some examples in your life, maybe some unmet expectations. Maybe you thought you were going to get that job. Or maybe you thought you were going to do well on an assignment. Maybe it was through the loss of a loved one. Or some other traumatic experience. Maybe there was some overwhelming emotional experience that caused great sorrow in your life. In the midst, you probably were not thankful. But on the other side, you probably grew and learned much from that sorrow. Well, there are several examples in this passage of the servant's sorrow. Most clearly, you can find it in verse 3 of chapter 53, where it says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. See, he was a man of sorrows. But the sorrow was not for himself. The sorrow was not for his circumstances. He was not there saying, oh, woe is me. My life is not fair. His sorrow was for the people. A people that were so unaware of their own depravity, of their own need for righteousness, that they did not even recognize the servant or understand his purpose. Look in chapter 52 at verse 15. And it says, So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. You see that word sprinkle there is a reference to cleansing through the animal sacrifice as the blood would be sprinkled as symbolism of the forgiveness of sins. Because that's what the servant had come to do, was to restore the relationship of the people with God. Yet it says here, the king shall shut their mouths. You know what that means? They would be speechless. Because they would look at this servant and go, there is no way that this weak servant can be our Savior, can be our Messiah. We want a servant that is mighty and strong, a glorious, conquering king, a hero. You see, the sorrow that the servant had was that the people just didn't get it. They did not understand his purpose. They did not understand that he came to heal them. They didn't understand how a humble servant could offer forgiveness and establish the kingdom of God. Because a servant is called to be humble, to show mercy, and to suffer. So ask yourself today, can you understand the sorrow that this servant had? He had come to restore the people, and they did not recognize him. His purpose or their need. In John chapter 1 it says, He was in the world and the world was made through Him. He created it all. Yet the world did not know Him. He came to His own and His own people did not receive Him. Look at verse 1 of 53. It says, Who has believed 
what he has heard. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Isaiah is asking the question. We have been telling them about the Messiah. We've been telling them about God and his plan. God has demonstrated his power. Yet no one believes. They had no knowledge because what had happened, they learned about God, but they did not allow it to transform their lives, the renewing of their mind. Do you see why there would be sorrow in the heart of the servant? Because I ask this about myself. Does the truth that I know about Christ cause me to have sorrow for the lost? Do I know what God's Word says and does it spur me on to action to have this active relationship with Christ in such a way that I can't help but share the gospel with everyone that I meet? I think the servant would have sorrow for me today because I have not allowed God's Word to fully transform me, to fully change me You can continue to see the sorrow in verses 2 through 6. It says, because the truth did not transform us, it did not change us, we were not able to recognize Him. And because we did not recognize Him, it says that we did not desire Him. He was unimpressive in our eyes. And because of that, we despised Him. We rejected Him. We looked at him and saw that he was being punished by God, that he was taking on this sin, and we equated that sin as his own sin. When in reality, it was the people's depravity. It was the people's sin. And they did not get that. They did not understand that he was taking that on himself. And so this scripture says that the people hid their faces from him. They cut off his access to society. They shunned him as if he was one that was unclean. Could you imagine how that broke his heart where he came to love his children and they exiled him from the community? He was despised. He was not held in high esteem. He was not cherished. In their eyes, he was without value because he did not match up to their ideas of what a Savior should be. You see, our sorrows, our shortcomings, our heartaches caused his sorrows. And we were like sheep. In verse 6 it says, like sheep we have gone astray. You see, we didn't know better. We were clueless. And instead of following God's word and following the suffering servant, what we did was we made our own path. And we lost our way. Because we did not follow the servant. So I have two questions for you to think about as you look at the sorrow of the servant. The one is, have you gone astray? Have you forgotten about the sorrow that your Lord Jesus took on his life? And in forgetting that, you are no longer following him the way you should have. 
And instead of following him, you have taken on some version of Christianity that fits your lifestyle, that fits your needs, but does not match up to the word of God. Have we rejected the truth of God's word in favor of something made in our own image? And when it comes to sorrow, have we forgotten the sorrow taken from us? That we no longer have to carry that burden. When it comes to sorrow, are you like the servant and have sorrow for a lost and dying world? Do you have this burden, this sense of urgency for the lost? They need a hope that only we can offer in Christ Jesus. But I think what's happened is we've gotten comfortable and we've forgotten. Yes, we're excited to celebrate our new life in Christ, but we've forgotten about the debt that was paid, about the sorrow that was placed on our Savior. If these questions make you uncomfortable, maybe it's time that we are reminded of this sorrow and be thankful that this sorrow steered us, pushed us, pointed us towards Christ. You see, our lives need to point others to give their sorrows to the Messiah. So you have the sorrow of the servant and then you have the servant's sacrifice. You see, the sorrow the servant had for his people caused him to make a great sacrifice. Doesn't seem like a lot to us, but he became human. Giving up his rights as royalty, as the Son of God, to become a servant. From the Son of God to living with a sinful, depraved human race. Now, he was fully God and fully man, but he was living amongst a creation that even at their best is filth. He gave up communing with the Father to come and be with you and me, to be tempted by the devil, to be rejected by his own creation. You see, he humbled himself as a sacrifice. Look at the sacrifice in verse 2. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. You see, his sacrifice was he did not come to earth as this great and mighty, powerful king and set up this kingdom and overthrow everything and say, serve me. Rather, he came to be served. It says, like a young plant, a root. And that picture is a picture of something weak and insignificant. Not like a magnificent, giant, strong tree. You see, he didn't come as this all-powerful king, but rather a humble servant. Matthew 20, 28 says, Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many, the sacrifice was that he came to serve. 
He came to serve in dry ground. Dry ground is not healthy soil. It is not a soil that you want to plant something in. It is not a place that you want to be in your life. Yet the servant said, that's exactly where I'm going to go. That is where I'm going to make my sacrifice. Not only did he make the sacrifice in that way, but it says there was no form or majesty that we would look at and no beauty that we should desire him. He is the king of kings, the son of God. Yet he came and lived on earth with no beauty, no majesty. Because that was the will of God. Verse 9 says, And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. You see, he sacrificed his life. He chose to give his life in a situation that you and I shouldn't have been in. We should have been following Christ and living for Christ, yet he gave his life for you and for me. He made that sacrifice. It says in verse 9, he made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. His sacrifice was that he gave his life, although he had done nothing wrong. He had no violence in his life. There was no deceit in his mouth. He gave up his right. He chose to sacrifice. And that's important that you know he chose that. He was not forced. He chose it. Verse 7 goes on to say, He was oppressed and was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Could you imagine if you were oppressed and afflicted for no reason? How quick would you be to defend yourself and to say, this is not right? Yet the servant kept his mouth closed. Because he was not about defending himself, but about the will of God. And the will of God was for him to come and to give his life. Verse 13 goes on to say, Oh, excuse me. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. It was wise for him to be silent and pour out his soul to death. Even though the scripture says that he was numbered with the transgressors, with the rebels, He was not a rebel. He was not a transgressor. He was the perfect, sinless, spotless lamb. But he was sacrificed in my place and in yours. But most of all, he took on the sacrifice of our sins. You can see it all throughout the scripture here. It says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He carried a burden. It was uncomfortable. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The scripture goes on to say, when his soul makes an offering for guilt, and he shall bear their iniquities. 
Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. You see, when he made that sacrifice to come down to live here on earth amongst his creation, he was identifying with your sin and with mine. He took on what we could not make right. And I can't even begin to understand how repulsive that sin was to him as the holy, perfect, blameless Son of God. What a sacrifice he has made, humbling himself, giving up of himself. Ask yourself today, are you willing to give up your rights to sacrifice for those who do not know the gospel, that do not know of Christ? Because the servant took on our sorrow and sacrificed for us, our life belongs to him. But before you commit to sacrifice your life, let's look at the suffering of that servant. Let's look at the price he paid for your debt. How did he suffer? Well, if you were here last week, you heard Pastor Andy talk about how he was scourged. A scourging was a severe beating with this multi-lashed whip that had iron balls at the tip and it was often embedded with bones. And what they would do is they would whip the back as much as they could without killing a man. And what this whipping would do is it would bruise and cut the tissue and the muscles and it would create blood loss. And then that blood loss would often create shock. And then after a scourging, they would crucify them by nailing their hands and their wrists and their feet to a cross. And he talked about how Jesus had this crown of thorns and he was spit on and he was hit with a staff in the head. I don't know about you, but that sounds like some pretty intense suffering Something that I know I could not handle. Something that I know I've never had to endure. In chapter 52 of verse 14, it tells you what that suffering was really like. And they were astonished because his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance. They couldn't even recognize him. He had been beaten so badly. Look at verse 5 of 53. Look what it says. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. That word pierced means dying at the end of a sword. To be crushed means there was this oppression, this pressure put on something that resulted in death. The wounds that it talks about there were open bruises. They were often sustained in battle. You see, the extent of the suffering there shows the depth of God's wrath. Being poured out on the servant. And I am so thankful that I will never have to experience anything close to that. 
But it is important for me to be reminded of it. To be reminded of what he paid. Verse 7 says he was oppressed. He was afflicted. Verse 8 says there was oppression and judgment taken upon him. Think about what that word judgment means. It means that he was convicted and that he was sentenced. And he had to pay that price. Yet he did it willingly. Verse 10 says, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. The will of the Lord. There was a divine purpose. And that purpose was so that you and I would have a restored relationship. The purpose was that there would be a substitute for our iniquity. There would be a substitute, a transfer of punishment from us to the servants. So you have the sorrow, you have the sacrifice, and you have the suffering. And finally, you have the satisfaction. Through all of those things that we can't truly understand the servant going through, the servant experienced a satisfaction that he freely offers to each of us today. Look at verse 13 of 52. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up. He shall be exalted. Is that not great news for us today? He will be high and lifted up, exalted. He will be restored to his rightful place. Why? Because he acted wisely. He took on the sorrow of creation. He suffered for creation. He sacrificed for creation. And then he was restored to his rightful place. And you see that in the New Testament when it says, I came from the Father and have come into the world. Yet now I am leaving the world and going to my Father. In Acts it says, But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Verse 10 of 53 says this, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. You see, the satisfaction was that he did not stay dead. He saw his offspring. His days were prolonged. He had to come and give his life. To remove the guilt from a holy people so that the kingdom of God could be set up through you and me. And that is great news because like the servant, we also do not stay dead. We are alive to serve. To carry on the kingdom, to carry on the message of Christ. In the last verse on satisfaction, verse 11 Out of the anguish of his soul, 
he shall see and be satisfied. You know what it means to be satisfied? It means to be paid in full. Everything is right. And he was satisfied because by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. You see, the servant went through all of that to make many righteous. We are not to be made perfect. We are, be, are to be made in the image of Christ, to be used by Christ. Used by Christ to make others righteous. And I think sometimes we forget the whole story. We forget about the pain and the suffering that Christ went through. And so sometimes we take that grace for granted. Sometimes we're not truly thankful. So as we conclude today, you have come to a moment of decision where you must decide if you're going to take what God has revealed to you today through his scripture and allow it to transform you. I think many of us are comfortable in saying, no, I'm good. I, I have a relationship with Christ. I don't need to be worked on anymore. I don't need to be transformed. Well, scripture today is a mirror that we must hold up to our life and see if our life looks like that of the suffering servant. Not only did Christ willingly take it on, he did it in such a way that it should inspire us. Hebrews says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We should have that kind of joy. We should relish the opportunity to suffer for Christ. If it means others come to know him, others come to righteousness. You see, before we can be lifted up, before we can be satisfied and used by Christ, we must first become the servants who took on our sorrow and suffered and sacrificed for us, we must do that for the lost. As we get ready to sing our song of invitation, there is a part of Jesus paid it all that's been added to it in a new chorus. And that part says specifically, He paid a debt. And so as we sing this song, I want you to think about those two words in detail. What did he pay? How much did it cost in suffering and sacrifice? And how much debt was in that sorrow? You see, the height of exaltation, the height of satisfaction can only be seen in the light of the price that was paid, the debt that was forgiven. Only when we understand the depth of our depravity can we understand what Christ really did for us. So maybe today you sit here and say, I have never accepted this gift of salvation. 
I have never accepted this gift that was brought by the suffering servant. And you want to ask Jesus to come into your life and forgive you of your sins. You want to ask him, please come into my life and lead me. Be my shepherd. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Me or one of the staff will be down here to talk with you about that. We would love the opportunity to tell you of what Christ has done for you. Or maybe today you're a follower of Christ. And after hearing this, you realize that you have not really been the servant you were called to be. You have not embraced the suffering Christ has called you in order to make the gospel known. I want to encourage you to come to this altar and just spend some time praying and committing your life to genuinely be thankful for your salvation and living for Christ in a way you never have before. So as Brother Gary comes to lead us, won't you stand? Won't you make the decision that Christ has placed on your heart today?